0: The reading this morning comes from Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. It's on page 858 of the Pew Bibles, if anybody wants to follow it there. The reading is Romans 2, verses 12 to 16. And it's under the heading of God's judgment of sin. While Paul wrote this letter for his first visit to the Romans in Rome, he had had substantial experience with working with Jews, Gentiles, and the emerging Christian church in the Holy Land. And this is what he had to say it's a tough love message. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life.
1: This, St Andrews, is God's word.
0: Let's pray. Thank you, Roger.
1: Well, gracious Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we uh, uh, doubly invite you into our hearts and minds. We do recognise that there is, this is not a TED talk or a public uh, uh, lecture. This is a time where we are gathering around and under your word, imperfectly brought to you by me this morning. So we ask, knowing that this is a spiritual exercise, we ask that your spirit would move on me, that I would proclaim the truth faithfully, fairly, and full of love. And we pray, Lord, for those of us, all of us listening, including myself as I listen to my own message, all of us here, that we would have attentive ears this morning. Remove the stumbling blocks. Remove the barriers, Lord, we pray, and bring honour and glory to your name through this message. Amen. So good morning. If you've just switched on uh, to our service online, or perhaps watching it later, but have fast-forwarded to the message part, or listening to this by podcast, it is great uh, that you've joined us here at this morning at St Andrew's Geraldine. So this morning's message is called Natural Law, The Apostle Paul and the inborn knowledge of God. I know, I know, it's a bit of a mouthful, but hopefully it will make sense at the end. The Apostle Paul here writing this morning's passage about God's law being written on every heart, whether they know him or not. And this is what he says. Even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. Now, this is I want you to bear with me. Stay with me here, right? There are two types in scripture there are two types of where where God writes about God's law being written in our hearts. And they're very different. The first, and this is not what we're going to talk about this morning, but I'll just explain it briefly, the first is for uniquely for the believer. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit's work in the believer. So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, if it's a genuine conversion, you love Jesus. Now, you may not even know the day that it happens. So it doesn't have to be a Damascus Road encounter. You may have been six or seven. But whenever you give your life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and you you and the Holy Spirit actively cooperate uh, With them, that's what called God's law is written on your heart, and slowly over time, uh, the fruits of repentance, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, increasing holiness is evident in the life of the genuine believer, and that is the difference between me. Uh, believing that the Christian faith is a man-made philosophy, and me going, right, today I'm going to try and work extra hard in my own human effort to keep these laws. I I may have broken the the commandment of adultery yesterday, but today I'm going to work really hard. Right? No. That is not the case. With the case of a believer, the Holy Spirit is inside of them. It writes God's word in their heart, and they're faithful and true, so hopefully today I don't go around killing anyone. All right, so that's that's the first one. The second one, and this is the one we're talking about today, is the universal sense of good and evil given to all of humanity as part of the image of God. All right, and so, so, so this is this is it's it's very very different. And so the second usage here is that even Gentiles who never have seen the Bible, Gentiles as those who aren't Jewish, who have not seen God's written law. There's an instinct there to obey it, sometimes obey it. And they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. Their own own conscience and thoughts will either accuse them or acquit them when they're doing right or wrong. So Paul is saying every person, whether you're a non-Jew or Jewish, whether you're living in a remote jungle, whether you're living on an island group that's been cut off from the gospel, There is Everyone is without an excuse because God's laws, some sense of good and evil, right and wrong, has been written on people's hearts. This is really important. This is not laws given by a government. This is stuff that God has placed within humanity. And this is described in the legal and philosophical world as natural law. Now, natural law is not the law of the jungle. Natural law is about some sense of right and wrong, a moral impulse that seems to be universal through all human societies. Animals just don't seem to have it in any way comparable to humanity. All human societies seem to have some sense, some belief in a good and evil. Now this is really important, Christians are not the only ones who believe in natural law. The Bible, we're going to hear about, we're going to spend, obviously, 95% of this morning is going to be spent about what God's word says about natural law. But it's worth noting, it's not only Christians who came to some sense that there is this sense of good and evil. Plato and Aristotle, I'm not a philosopher, but they had some sense there are laws of nature, this ordered universe and Plato and Aristotle saw their, their forms of beauty and that there's some laws that are bigger than human laws which are binding on humans. And, for example, after the war, there was the Nuremberg Trials. Who knows about the Nuremberg Trials, right? Everyone remembers, right? Where the Nazis were brought to trial. And the Nazis, had they thought they had this get-out-of-jail-free card. They said, we didn't break the law. We passed some laws, actually, at Nuremberg And it's okay for us to kill the Jews. It's perfectly legal. And so what did the allied government say? Well, they were wanting to at least give some semblance that it wasn't victor's justice. And so the allied lawyers said there is a higher law that is binding on all human societies, no matter what human laws. This is natural law. And one of those laws is you don't go around doing genocide of entire racial groups. That was the claim that was brought there, natural law. And so we're going to watch a clip. Now this is a clip, I hasten to add, this is not a Christian clip. This is done by people that don't believe in Jesus, they believe in natural law, so you'll see a couple of things, you'll go, I don't agree with that, they put all the religions together there for a second, but just, you guys are discerning, you can stay with it and then we're going to focus on what God's word
2: says about natural law. Welcome to the essential ideas of natural law. Natural law is a philosophical and scholarly tradition that traces its roots back thousands of years to the time of Plato and other Greek philosophers. At its core, natural law is the view that all humans possess reason, and as such, all people, whatever their ethnicity, culture, or religion, have the ability to know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. People, for instance, inherently know that harming other people is wrong, Natural law also holds that all humans possess free will and thus can choose to do good and avoid evil. When people choose the good, they flourish precisely as natural law scholars argued humans are meant to flourish. Think of the golden rule, which almost all religions and cultures have in one way or another. Treat others as you would want to be treated yourself. Everyone can understand this principle, regardless of the laws they may find themselves governed by. Natural law also includes the idea that people share an inherent morality that limits the power of the state, whether it's exercised by a monarch, government, or legislature. That's because natural laws are more authoritative than man-made laws, and more binding on the conscience. A key insight from natural law is that if man-made laws are to be morally binding, they must align with what people's reason tells them is right and wrong. So when governments enact laws that contradict what people know to be good or bad, say a law that discriminates against certain people because of their gender or ethnicity or religion, people will rightly disobey the law because it is viewed as unjust. This lack of justice is rooted in the fact that it violates natural law. In this way, natural law acts as a moral restriction on the power of the state. Though natural law affirms that the state has legitimate responsibilities, it also places limits around the exercise of those powers, in part because natural law insists that people need to have scope for making choices if they are to do good and avoid evil. Over the centuries, few ideas have been as influential as the development of moral, political, legal, and economic thought in the broad Western tradition as the idea of natural law and throughout history, natural law scholars have made significant contributions to the ideas and concepts that have encouraged the growth of free societies and have influenced the creation of the institutions of modern Western democracies that we enjoy today, including individual rights, justice, private property, rule of law, constitutionalism, and limited government. To learn more about natural law, visit essentialnaturallaw.org And to learn about more Essential Scholars, visit Essentialscholars.org.
1: So that's their take. What Paul takes, Paul agrees that natural law exists, and this higher law is a higher law than the government of New Zealand or any other government, but and it exists. And exists even if a person doesn't have the Bible, but Scripture argues that God has placed the sense of good and evil in our hearts. I know it's the third time I've read this, the verse, but let me read it to you And Even Gentiles, non-Jewish, who do not have God's written law, show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. So God has given different degrees of knowledge to every person of right and wrong so that no one is without an excuse. For the Jewish people, when Paul was writing, they had the much, much better written law. Written law, the Bible, they had that. If you've got the scriptures, you've got a much better one than natural law. It's definitive, it's on paper, and it's clear. People can argue about what's right and wrong in their heart, but the Bible is really clear. But for those that don't have it, who never had it, Paul is saying they are still without an excuse when they stand before God. So God could rightly judge the world under Noah's flood, even though they didn't have the Bible, because God had placed a sense of good and evil in every human heart. Are you following me? Are you following me They're without an excuse? And so uh, the, the written law is much better, but the natural law can convict or potentially excuse them on their behavior. All right, so uh, that's according to the next one. Keeping and failing with the law. Paul argues, this is again, we're just focusing God's word here. He says that some who know the written law have failed to keep it. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying that law that makes us right in his sight. And then he goes on to say, Some Gentiles who have the law written in their hearts, at least some part of it, they have uh, some of the time their conscience moving them to do so means they will obey it. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it, without hearing the written law. However, the main message of Romans and the New Testament generally is that no person except Jesus Christ keeps all of God's law perfectly. All people, whether Gentiles or Jews, fall short of the glory of God. And he says this is sort of subtly hinted in this passage. And this is the message I proclaim. The day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. Well, I'm not looking forward to that. Without the blood of Jesus, that would be a very, very grim day for one, Alistair McNaughton. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven. And then Paul later in Romans 3 really unpacks the fact that whether you've had the written law or the law in your heart, we're all sinners in need of a saviour. And well then, what should we conclude, that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace and they have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those for whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Either the written law or the raw in the heart. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right by God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we all are. I know that sounds really grim, but basically it's saying the law in the heart simply shows me, convicts me. You know, who's had that feeling of conviction? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoken to my wife that way. You guys are looking. You guys are wonderful because I'm not getting any sh- nods of the head. You guys are fantastic. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're making me feel a little bit better, but for the rest of you, you can just go home. You guys are perfectly sanctified. It's great. All right, so God's law written on our natural hearts and the written law show me that I've really screwed up. It convicts my conscience of my failures. The, the shame I feel, the remorse I feel is given to me by the written law and also natural law, the law written on my heart showing me that I've fallen short of God's glory. And so the law, either the written or natural, doesn't save me. We need a saviour. His name is Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith, not through knowledge of natural law or the much better written law of scriptures. All right, so what are some implications of natural law? All right, let's have a look at the first one. Firstly, it's a God-given restraint on evil that is a blessing to all humans. So you saw with that lovely little uh, article, the Thomistic Institute, that it talks about limited government. Limited government, is a really good thing for Christians. If it was total government, they, they believe they have total power to do whatever they want. Like North Korea. Who wants to live in New Zealand under the Western influence of natural law and limited government or North Korea? Hands up, who wants to live in North Korea? Who was happier living here? And some don't want to live anywhere. Evidently. <laughs> All right. So well, the, the limits. So you get to see that actually, that actually, it's a restraint. And so governments, you know, in the New Testament, despite the, the government, the Roman government, killing Christians and doing terrible things. The scriptures talk about honoring the government and recognizing the authority of the government and police, however imperfectly, because they judge evil and deal with things. And that a land that is in complete rebellion with no government, no laws, no lawyers is a terrible place. You hear all the lawyers' jokes. Well, you just imagine a society without any lawyers. Law of might versus right. I am thankful for lawyers. And the bible says we should be as well even non-christian ones Imperfect perfect as they are it's a common grace given to all humans of some degree of recognition of good and evil it means that god can raise up good and solid men and women who don't know jesus who could be your employers or our local member of parliament or the local police officers and even though they aren't christians out of some sense of good and evil have a sense of integrity so just, I know, I, sh- I was sharing with Alan, Alan, I don't break the law all the time with, um, with driving, but Alan was, was joking about the last time I shared about breaking the law. Well, about three weeks ago, I, I am filled with shame. I was on Earl Road and I was coming up to the stop sign. Who's been at the stop sign on Earl Road going into Tamuka? I didn't stop. And then as I turned, the flashing of the lights, who's had that sensation? And I was like, oh, Jesus, might not be Constable David from Geraldine to some random police officer. I'm happy for the fine, but just not the local police officer. And then it was Constable David. And the word that came out of my mouth was not very good when Catherine looked at me. I had to repent from that. And then he came up and he said, oh, Father Alistair, it's good to see you. Was it pastor or minister? I don't know which title to call you. Hello, Constable David. <laughs> So, but he had mercy on me. I didn't get a ticket that particular time. I said, do not show mercy because I'm a minister. I deserve a ticket. I broke the law. But he said, Alistair, I'll let you off with a warning this time. He's not a Christian. Right and wrong. Mercy and justice. He would have been just to give me a ticket, but he was merciful not to. There are people out there, and they have a sense of right and wrong. Without that sense, imagine what society would be like. And I don't want to talk about end times, but Jesus predicts the day that there will be a rising sense of lawlessness. Oh God, save us from such a time. And so we know, perhaps you've met, I've met a non-religious person who had just done a deal of a lot of money. He'd shaken hands, but hadn't filled in the paperwork. And he found out that he could get a much better deal and save like a years or two years of his life salary. And he thought, But I remember my dad shaking hands and shaking hands of the word I gave my honor. And he said, well, I'm just going to bite the bullet and lose the money because I gave my word and I shook hands. There was no benefit in it for him, but it was that innate sense of natural law, right and wrong. There'll be some of you going, yes, my husband's like this, or my children are like this. This is a common grace. Be thankful for it. We're made in the image of God. And, you know, work with it. Christians need to work with this. We need to be honouring hard-working, peaceful, law-abiding, showing that we honour both God's written law and the natural inbuilt law. Christians living godly lives is a witness. It's, it's salt and light. And when the church fails to live by this standard, you wait to hear what the non-Christians do. They've got this inbuilt sense of right and wrong. They'll say, Catholic Church this, Arise, Pastor this, Hillsong that, Alistair this. No problem, you're right, it's the natural law they, they judge or damn us on our failure to keep it <coughs> So work hard this week, love your families Be faithful to the tasks that are in front of you And be thankful for imperfect government Perhaps for some of you you might say very imperfect government Depending on your political preferences But be thankful, it's better than a land and a government in a society that's collapsed Be thankful for the common grace that is natural law And next, natural law can bring people to faith. I always remember reading about Derek Prince, uh, how he came to faith. Derek Prince was a person, he had uh, completed his PhD, he was teaching in uh, London, uh, fluent in in, in the Old Testament languages, Greek and Hebrew and so forth, but he wasn't a believer in Christ. And there he was, he'd grown up, not, not a believer in God at all. And he'd started having this affair with this Irish lady He was married. She had kids, but he wanted her. And so he started having an affair with her. And then she conceived and had a child to him, but she pretended it was her husband who was the farmer. And while this was going on with Derek Prince, even though he totally did not believe there was no God, I'm too smart to believe there's a God, his heart was convicting him. That's natural law. And that was the very thing that brought a young Derek Prince at 30 onto his knees to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ who propelled him into ministry. I, was, I met a doctor a little while ago and he came to faith in the most bizarre of places. Or was reached by God in the most bizarre of places. He was a doctor. He went over to Glasgow and he was working on the abortion wards of Glasgow. And as hundreds of pregnancies were being terminated, including very late term. He would see what he was doing. And the terminated pregnancies, it wasn't just a name or an operation. He was there. And as he was seeing, his conscience was pricked. He came to faith. I met him actually at a Presbyterian uh, uh, committee. And he's an elder of good standing in Invercargill. Reached in an abortion clinic in Glasgow. Natural law can bring people to faith. Pray that God would stir up a sense of good and evil, right and wrong, in your unbelieving loved ones. Pray that the Lord would convict them, move their spirit. Lord, he can reach anyone, even the hardest heart. Pray. Next is, third, it's existence is evidence of God's existence. C.S. Lewis was a fan of natural law as evidence of God's existence. In his book, Mere Christianity, after he had been an atheist and become a professor, and then he was, became the most reluctant convert to the Christian faith in all of England, because no one else, else, else of his colleagues were giving their faith to Christ. After he would come to faith, he wrote his book, Mere Christianity, and he was writing about uh, uh, the, the fact that there is this sense of right and wrong all around the world. Here's some quotes from the human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Lewis, 1952. He says, When people argue, says Lewis, they appeal to a set of rules which they expect the other to know about and play by. They accuse their adversary of being unfair, of breaking a promise of not repaying a kind deed, of skipping them in the queue. And Lewis goes on to say that in the arguments, the person who has been accused of doing wrongdoing further cements the idea of the law of nature in his rebuttal. The usual counter-argument goes, involves evidence to prove that he's not broken those fundamental shared rules. He'll make excuses or try to reason to this end. But in his counter-argument, he is still considering and agreeing with these shared laws. He's just trying to prove he's not defied them or that there's mitigating circumstances. I did it because you did this, this and this or whatever else. They're both singing off the same hymn sheet, says Lewis, just in a different key. This is what he says. He is appealing to some kind of standard of behaviour which he expects the other man or woman to know about. And the other man or woman very seldom replies... Well, to hell with your standard. You don't often hear that, right? Lewis says this, think of a country where people are admired for running away in battle, where cowardice was a virtue. Or think of a society where a person felt proud of going around and intentionally double-crossing all the people who'd been kindest to them. Now, who's the ones that have been kindest to me, right? How can I double-cross them and do evil for good? And I do say C.S. Lewis, it's, and he says, uh, you might as well just try to imagine a country where two plus two make five. Lewis is saying this is a universal set of rules and built into us and C.S. Lewis says God placed it here, it's evidence of God's existence and shows us that we're all under this moral law and need a saviour. Natural law, lastly, it's not enough to save us with a big, strong not there, just in case anyone doesn't miss the point here. Fourth and last, God's law in our hearts, even the written law, which is better, a better light, is not enough to bring us to a place of goodness where we're innocent. Certainly, in my case, God's law of good and evil written in my heart has only shown the depth of my failures to keep God's laws. I need a savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis agrees. He says, this year or this month or more likely this very day and perhaps some of you this very morning, we have all failed to practice ourselves the very behavior we expect from other people. We believe in the standard, we judge other people for failing it, but we ourselves don't keep it. We need a savior. So summing up the sweep of Romans here, the opening chapter of Romans, God's word points out humanity's plight. Paul first condemns the Roman pagan world with its idolatry, its sexual immorality, its hedonism, all the rule-breaking. And then there's the religious Jews going, yes, they're evil, bad people. And then Paul goes, oh, you religious people. Well, you're just as bad. You have these rules. You fail to keep them. You are just as bad. And then in this chapter, he says that both the religious people have God's law and the Gentiles were both equally under the universal reign of sin. For those who have never had the law, it's natural law they're going to be judged by. And for those who know the law, like the Jews and religious Christians, it's the risen law, but both fall short of God's glory and need a saviour. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you called on the name of Jesus have you received the forgiveness that he offers? Whether you're an abortion ward in Glasgow, whether you're a church here on Sunday morning, there is a saviour and he's willing to forgive. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your natural law, an innate sense of right and wrong that you have placed in every human heart, from our Prime Minister, all those in the MPs, our local police officers, And all those here in this society, we pray that we would work with it. That we would truly be light and salt. And that we would be able to point out through this natural law your existence. I pray, Lord, for some loved ones here. Perhaps prodigal sons and daughters or husbands or wives. Or people that people know have walked away from you. Lord, that you would use this prompting of the Spirit to convict And draw them to you as a saviour. And I pray that every single person here this morning would have called on your name and received the forgiveness that you alone can give. Amen.